attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. All right, Entree Architect community, it's time for Context and Clarity Live, where we spend an hour every Thursday afternoon searching for clarity around the things that matter most to you the architect. And it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm or if you own your own firm. Maybe you dream of starting your own thing. Maybe you've even said that 2021 is my year and you're on the runway to starting your own thing. Or maybe you have had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. All of the topics that we cover fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture and they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host Catherine McPhail and I had last week with our Context and Clarity guest. Every week, we have a new guest and a new topic, so let's jump right into the conversation. This episode of Context and Clarity is supported by Twinmotion, the simple real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery, client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. To learn more, visit Twinmotion at twinmotion.link slash clarity. All right, Entree Architect community, it's 4 p.m. Eastern. It's 3 p.m. Eastern, <laughs> which means it's, it means that we're an hour early. <laughs> it's 4 p.m. Atlantic. That's close. It's close to here anyway. <laughs> I'm so used to context and clarity being every single weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern. We're at a special time today, 3 p.m. Eastern. So welcome. Welcome to the Entree Architect Context and Clarity Live session for Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. If you've never joined us before, welcome. Say hi when you get here. 
let us know that you're here, wherever here is for you. Um, we come here. I come here every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Catherine joins me every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, except today it's 3 p.m. Eastern, for these Context and Clarity live conversations, and we'll be joined momentarily by a special guest. Um, but we come here every weekday to cover the things that uh, matter most to the success of small firm architects. We look for clarity around one topic every day. This week, our topic, our theme this week is uh, risk management because our special guest that we're going to talk to is an expert in risk management. Uh, we'll get started here with our guest in just a minute. I see Leslie over there on YouTube. She's made it over. Nicole made it over to Twitch. Hi, Nicole in Arizona. Glad you're joining us today. I think Nicole and uh, Brian may have special interest in this in this guest today. They may share something in common with our guest today. Um, so it'll be maybe so a little bit of a homecoming. Kurt, welcome back from Flint, Michigan. Glad you're joining us today as well. So with that, and, and also thank you. Welcome to those of you who are listening to this in the future on the podcast version of the Context and Clarity podcast. You can find, find that podcast wherever you consume podcasts. Every Monday, the audio-only version of our Context and Clarity live conversations come out. And then on Tuesday, we have a special episode that comes out. Uh, it's sort of a, it's a little secret. It's a secret thing that we do. As soon as the conversation is over with our Context and Clarity live guests, we invite a guest from our, uh, from our Context and Clarity community, and we break down the conversation. We talk about our biggest takeaways. We talk about what we learn. We talk about ways that we can apply um, what was discussed in Context and Clarity Live to our own situations, to our own businesses. That is called Context and Clarity Backstage. That podcast version, that podcast episode comes out on Tuesday. So Monday, the live version of what we're doing right now comes out. And then on Tuesday, the Context and Clarity Backstage, where we look for applications and takeaways uh, that all comes out uh, Tuesday. Wherever you consume podcasts, just look for context and clarity and uh, and you can listen to those. And and we don't tell you who the uh, backstage guest is. You just have to listen on Tuesday and find out who it is. Somebody from our community. So with that, I see uh, more joining from YouTube. Uh, Christian's here on YouTube instead of Facebook. Sarah Lee is on uh, YouTube as well. Let's see. Scott says he got the auto notification from Twitch while frantically trying Facebook. So he went over to Twitch. All right. I don't know what the deal is with Facebook right now. Looks like we may not, uh, may not have those. So if, if you, uh, uh, Scott says Facebook is on. Okay. So maybe we will, uh, maybe we'll have some more joining us from Facebook here shortly, but it's time to get started. We've had our guest in the backstage in the green room for far too long at this point. So I'm going to introduce our guest today who is a board member and a mentor, a very part-time groundskeeper. <laughs> he, excuse me. He's a podcast host. He is a risk management consultant and the founder and CEO of Black Swan Risk Management. Zach Waters, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. I love that you threw Great in part-time groundskeeper. <laughs> Very important to put well, that in there. 
<laughs> it is. It's it's one that caught my attention, uh, being being a little bit of a baseball fan. So I saw yeah. that uh, you said you're a very part time groundskeeper for the uh, Oakland Athletics. I am, as long cool. as they stay in Oakland, which is not a foregone conclusion at this point. But uh, yeah, it's not. no, I actually got to join back way back when the Raiders were still here. And the Oakland Coliseum was the only coliseum in the country that did changeovers that had two professional sports. So the, the head groundskeeper was a family friend of mine. And uh, he brought me in just for that period when you would take it from baseball to football or football back to baseball. And it was really interesting from a design standpoint. Uh, the groundskeeper had commissioned this tractor trailer to be created to drop the pitching mounds in for the Oakland A Stadium. Oh, wow. um, it's actually another former board member on the Architectural Foundation, a structural engineer, and it was a pretty cool deal. I have some some video of it, and I've I've done some talks and interviews about um, that stadium, and there's there's a whole lot going on there about where they want to move and all that fun stuff. But yeah, yeah it's a pretty cool yeah. deal. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, we we uh, we're happy you're here. We're glad that you're here. When we started uh, I, uh, several months ago, we got into a conversation on context and clarity. Um, I don't, I don't remember exactly the topic, but one of the things that, that had come up was insurance, risk management, things like that. And I, you know, and I asked the community, who, who do you know? Who would you want to have come and speak about risk management? And your, your name came up because you have, you're in the, uh, uh, architects and allies mastermind group with a few people that are here in the audience right now. So it's very cool. We're glad that, uh, that you were able to join us today. Absolutely. Happy happy to be recommended. And I see some friends on here. I see some clients on here and some folks that I've interviewed. So I'm really excited. Thanks for thanks for setting this up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think the you know, the place that we have to start out. <laughs> because I I know that there are some going, Oh my gosh, risk management, oh my gosh, insurance. That sounds boring or that sounds scary or that sounds whatever. So probably the most appropriate place to start a conversation about this is to ask What's the craziest risk story you've ever heard? It's a great question. Um, I'm going to go twofold here. Uh, the craziest risk story, though, there's not a whole lot that I would have done to change it, is I got a call from a client who was on his way to go do a site visit on a project that he was designing. And he had kind of made a, a vacation out of it. So he was in, based in San Francisco. He was driving to the northern part of California. And he hit a bear on his motorcycle. And I was the first person he called. And he's like, can you help me? Is there any insurance solution to this? And I was like, oh, my God. You hit a bear? Like, are you okay? And he, he was injured. He was you know, still alive. And the bear didn't fare so well. Um, we, we had a heck of a time trying to get that looped in on what amounted to his workers' comp insurance because it's a disability policy. But um, he, we ended up having to send over pictures and we had to create a file for this whole thing. And it was just like, oh my gosh, that's not, it's not something that you typically think about, you know, as you're opening a design practice is, um, you know, am I going to hit an animal on the way to go visit a site? So um, the second part, the one that's kind of much more geared towards risk management is that I had a client, a geotechnical engineer in the San Francisco Bay Area, who was involved in the calculations for the redesign on the Millennium Tower. Um, San Francisco Millennium Tower, very famous project in the news for all the wrong reasons. Uh, we actually did a, a, a webinar on this back in May that uh, a lot of folks here were on and is available, but... Um, 
it's leaning. <laughs> it's a $350 million condo project that had some very famous uh, uh, residents, and it's tilting. And so we had to, my geotechnical engineer client was uh, part of the redesign doing the calculations, and we had to hop on calls with Millennium Tower partners and negotiate these contracts because this was already in hundreds of millions of dollars of litigation and we were navigating a minefield. So that was uh, that was the most prominent, most challenging, I think, risk management uh, story I have to date. Yeah, that's, uh, b- both of those are pretty extreme stories, actually. Um, when, when we're thinking about risk management, I mean, how, how do you define, so you're, you're a risk management consultant. Uh, how do you define risk management for, I guess we'll call architects lay people. I mean, they're not sure. insurance experts, but how do you define it? No, it's, it's a really good question. So first of all, let's, let's build a separation between what insurance is and risk management, yeah, right? And good. insurance is in, insurance for an architect is basically, if we think about it as very simplest form is protection against getting sued, right? We have liability out there. Um, we, we've agreed to this thing called the standard of care when we, when we start in practice. And, you know, there's a, a level of liability that comes with that. And there are people out there that might want to bring lawsuits against us throughout our career. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's our fault. That's something that we can get into, kind of the difference between exposure and fault. Um, but we, we need insurance for it. Risk management is the practice of looking ahead at what the potential pitfalls might be and then doing the best we can to plan and manage and, and account for what could go wrong. And so they, they often get lumped in together. You know, by definition, as a risk manager, we, we place insurance policies. That's part of what we do. Uh, but I've, I've coined what I like to call the four S's of risk management for architects and engineers, uh, which would be, uh, what are you signing? What are you seeing? What are you sending? And what are you saving? And so what are you signing would be a contract, right? Tons and tons of our liability comes in the contracts that we sign on a regular basis. Uh, what are you seeing? I think about this uh, construction observation and site visits. Very interesting topic right now in COVID. Um, you know, what are, are we? Are we going out to job sites physically? Are we doing? Some of my clients are are a part of uh, site visits that are done by a drone or another person on site. You know, there's all kinds of question marks there. Uh, what are you sending? This is probably the one that should be keeping folks up at night the most. Um, not only my email best practices. You know, what am I putting? in an email to a client, but also what are my employees, if I have them, what are they sending? And and what does our communication look like? Um, you know, this day and age we text a lot, right? We're we're we have we're we're close enough to our sub consultants and the other folks on the project that we're probably using our, our phones a lot. And, you know, is all of that admissible? Is all of that discoverable if something were to go sideways? Absolutely it is, right? So that's another conversation. And then the last one's kind of the bonus one, which is what are you saving? How long are you keeping your documents? Um, you know, a lot of us probably know of the architect who has been doing this for 40 or 50 years, and they have a bunch of paper files, <laughs> maybe at their home office or at their, their physical office, and they've kept every iteration of every document they've ever created in their life. That's not an amazing practice. It's a great wealth of, of knowledge. It would be really fun to go through, um, you know, as, as a, somebody who is just interested in, in design. But from a liability standpoint, 
it could present a nightmare. So those are the four S's, signing, seeing, sending, and saving. Uh, it's kind of a breakdown of how I think of the components of risk management for an architect. We we did have a question about, yep. um, I think Nicole brought it up because I think you had brought it up during one of your mastermind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a bunch of questions that are related to all those, of course. Okay. But one that I would like to know more about, first of all, I am losing a lot of sleep. This whole week has been has been less sleep than usual because I'm thinking about a lot of different things that I usually don't think about. So phones, can you talk a little bit about the phones? Because we can. Yeah, Nicole, and I remember Nicole brought this up. It was a great topic. Um, so what are your procedures around site visits and, and even around phones if you have employees? Because I would venture that most folks um, when they are going out on a site visit, they don't bring a, maybe back in the day, some folks remember the disposable cameras, right? Those things that used to buy at the, the, you know, grocery store or the drug store and get sent it to a developer and actually have the pictures. You know, we're well beyond that. Uh, we went to digital cameras for a while. And I, I bet there are some firms out there that probably have a specific digital camera and say, Hey, if you're going to go to a site, take this digital camera, take these pictures. Uh, bring them back, download them, put them in the project file, and delete them, and that's done, right? If you're a sole proprietor architect, you probably have this wonderful iPhone that's got a better camera than most people could buy, and you're like, man, that doesn't seem like a very practical risk management that I that I need to have a separate camera, right? Can I just go use my phone? Can I take those pictures? Can I make sure that I, I transfer them in the project file, and then can I make sure to delete them all? That would be the important part, is delete them all, right? If I've seen this go both ways. If this is a tool that you are using the same way that you are using the digital camera and you're getting rid of everything after you go use it, then it's a tool and it it would be a lot harder to find it as discoverable. If you are texting folks uh, at site, if you are using this, if you keep, if you are are taking pictures of, of construction and then catch a picture of the beautiful sunrise next to you and are intermingling those pictures a lot easier for an attorney to make a case that that phone is um, is absolutely admissible, is discoverable in uh, you know a, a potential lawsuit. Okay, so I'm trying to imagine what else could be on that phone that would be a problem if it were discoverable. Is it just that your phone is taken away for four years and you don't have a phone and you don't have any of the other information or is it it's not that your phone is taken away. I mean, they can they'll download your phone, right? And in a, if an attorney, if there is some type of litigation or potential litigation, right, um, things are discoverable. Your project files, your emails, all of these things are discoverable. They will download your phone. It's more of just, do we make offhand comments in our text messages, right? Have you ever had a client that was maybe a little difficult to deal with Mm-mm. and something that you would never put in an email, you might put in a text message to a coworker that said, oh my gosh, Catherine, Jeff is such a difficult person to deal with, right? No, well, I would never do that. You would never do that, I'm, right? I'm pretty sure that happens every day. <laughs> right. It, it, you know, we see this happen in, in larger firms. It's more on like a, like a Slack or, you know, a, a yeah. medium that we're using to communicate in our office. Um, you know, with a lot of coworkers, coworkers tend to be friends and they text them each other funny things that are sometimes work related, right? Is that in and of itself, does that create liability? Not necessarily, but if I'm an attorney that's trying to build a case and I'm trying to say that Jeff Eccles' firm is at fault here and I have discoverable information and I see that Jeff was saying disparaging things about this client, 
do I have a case now? Is my case stronger? Yeah, it probably is. So, you know, we venture out of the world of black and white and we venture into the world of kind of legal and, and building character cases as much as, you know, evidence-based mm-hmm. cases. Um, okay. So that's kind of the worry there. Yeah. So is the solution just to get a different phone and only use that phone for work and never? <laughs> yeah. The easiest stuff? solution, Nicole and I talked about this. It's like, hey, should I just buy my employees a you know a phone and then just make that a work phone? Yeah. Honestly, if it's very easy for you as an employer, if you can afford that expense and it's something that your employees are willing to do, if you say, hey, this phone is a work phone, you use it to communicate with work people. It it answers you know your work calls. You can text contractors and and sub consultants on this phone. Uh, but this is not your personal phone and you can take pictures, you know, a, a construction observation. It's a, it's a much easier solution. Well, that's, I think that's all, that's all fascinating. And going back to the four S's and, and we should spend more time on all these four S's, but maybe, maybe now we're going backwards because the saving mm-hmm. part of that, you mentioned deleting off of the digital camera, deleting off of the, the right. phone not keeping 50 years worth of hard right. copies of sketches and whatever. What, what's the problem? So I, the, the minute you said that, I thought about the place where I did my internship. It was a long time ago. But um, those two of my bosses had gone to IIT, Illinois Institute of Technology, and had Mies van der Rohe as a professor. Okay, so wow. these, these guys were not young. Uh, they'd been in practice a long time, and they totally had all of those, you know, all of those hard copy files. So, what's the problem with keeping those, whether it's hard copies or the digital photos or whatever? At what point do we need to say, "Hey, it's time to get rid of this stuff"? And what's the problem with keeping it? It's a good question. So, the problem with keeping it is technically it is discoverable, right? So, if you know, we're, we're going to go down a rabbit hole here, but there's there's a statute of repose in each state, and every state is different. Um, oftentimes, most states are somewhere around 10 years, right? And that means from substantial completion of a project to uh, 10 years beyond that, we, we are on the hook uh, as design professionals for that project. Um, you know, a lot of times claims will fall in the first three to five years and maybe even the first year, depending on what we're talking about. Is it a delay claim? You know, are we are we trying to open a school and we missed the first day of school? We didn't open on time. You know, is that going to be a claim right out of the gate? Yeah, it is, right? Um, if we're talking about a condo project, are, are we likely to see an attorney come in in year eight and year nine? Uh, talk to the HOA and say, hey, do you notice that your windows are leaking and this, that, and we have a giant claim in year nine and year 10 before the statute runs out? Absolutely. But we also have things like there's the Berkeley, Berkeley balcony collapse that happened out here near UC Berkeley campus in 2015. And there were fatalities in that. And that was past the 10-year uh, statute of repose. But the architect was pulled into that, as, as, as was everybody that, that touched that project, right? So you're going to get named in that because you you were a part of it. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It means you're going to get named in the lawsuit, though. And the, all of the documents uh, that are associated with that are, are now discoverable. If I had a document retention program in place that says, uh, my firm, Eccles Architecture, only keeps documents for seven years, and beyond seven years, we destroy it. It's a written procedure. It's part of our uh, uh practice everybody agrees upon it and at the end of seven years i deleted that i'm great if i don't have a written document retention program and it's year five 
and somebody sends me a subpoena and, and notifies me that they are wanting to talk more about a project that was on, and then I start deleting those project files, and I don't have anything written that says I delete after five years, am I in trouble? Yeah, absolutely. Right? So that's kind of the, the reason to, to keep it is, it's one, just, I mean, for, for clarity purposes, just to have all of those things, right? Um, it, it It's kind of cool to have, but it can definitely, it, it can cause you more problems than, than solutions. Um, but it's also just to follow very clear business guidelines so that if uh, an attorney does come knocking, it's like, no, this is, I, I followed my procedure here. Where I've seen this happen, um, you know, back to kind of pictures, a lot of folks take pictures the way that I take pictures of my five-month-old daughter, right? I've got my iPhone, we've got a baby, she's doing cute stuff, and I just snap, 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 picture, 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 and I end up with 40 or 50 pictures, and then I go in and I pick the three that I like the most, right? Well, what happens if I'm on a job site and I'm trying to snap a picture of non-conforming construction, but I catch a picture of the contractor who is not tied off, who is hanging off of this ladder, and I have that picture? What do I, what's my responsibility as a design professional? Do I want to be, as, a, as an architect, do I want to be responsible for site safety? Absolutely not, right? That should, that's, that should be general contractor. That is not us. Do I owe a duty to tell somebody if I see somebody hanging from a ladder somewhere that's unsafe? Probably, yeah. And if I don't say that and I have this picture somewhere and maybe it's you know one of my junior staff members that took it and didn't know any better and it's sitting in a project file somewhere... And then some accident happened because of that. I've seen claims come about from that. So it's just like, you know, the, the, <laughs> the easiest way is for us to just be very, very uh, proactive, right? Just very, just have intent behind what we're doing, pictures we're taking, and, and then delete everything else and say, you know, not my responsibility anymore. Yeah, we've got a lot of discussion about that in the sidebar about, you know, <laughs> it creates more questions. And, I know, so. it, it does. It does. It certainly does. Yeah. Um, it, you're right. It is. It is a rabbit hole. Um, oh boy. Yeah. I heard one recently. I mean, there's so many things. I can't. I am so. I'd like to just change the subject, but obviously that's what we're discussing this whole hour. <laughs> so, but um, the seeing thing. I heard about some. I mean, I don't know if it's an urban myth, but I heard about an architect being sued because the architect lived across the street from a construction project where things were going wrong, and and um, the architect never reported. Anything mm. out of the ordinary. Interesting. I, I've not heard that. I will say that each one of those four, and, and I know I've seen some comments that said, can you repeat them? So they were signing. What do you sign? You're signing contracts. What are you seeing? We're thinking about construction observation, being on site, doing site visits. What are you sending? You're sending emails or your correspondence with your clients and subconsultants. And then what are you saving? What documents am I keeping? You know, the seeing the construction observation and site visits is very closely tied to the contract. Right? What have I agreed to in contract? Have I have I agreed to site visits? Have I agreed to a certain number of site visits? In my scope in the contract, what have I agreed to? Have I said not only what I'm responsible for and what I'm willing to do, but what I'm not willing to do? And have I said what are additional services and what those will cost? That's a great way to have belt and suspenders and say, hey, this is my contract. I will be doing A, B, and C, and the fee for that is this. Additional services would be, you know, QRS, and then things that I will not be doing under any circumstances are X, Y, and Z. Um, that's a very, and and this is where we need to talk about attorneys, and I am not an attorney, and I do not play one on the internet, did not go to law school. 
Uh, I work with some excellent, excellent attorneys that work nationwide. And if you want to chat about that afterwards, happy to offer introductions. Uh, these folks do uh, discounted rates uh, for smaller firms and, and firms through me. Always, always, always great to talk to an attorney. And if there's one takeaway, if you only hear one thing I say on this, it would be spend you know a few hundred dollars get an attorney to kind of walk through a few risk management plans uh, with you and specifically look at your standard firm agreement, right? The fir- the agreement that you want to get uh, signed by your clients, you know, assuming that you're not going to work on a big project where you're signing theirs. Um, if that's an AIA templated document, then get the attorney to make it yours, right? AIAs, I saw that was a question down the road, which is, like, should I use AIA documents? Absolutely, but realize they're templates. Right, those are those are not meant to be here plug and play. Those are meant to be take it and make it your own, and understand when you're seeing it from the other side, they've probably taken it, taken it and made it their own as well. So, um, backing up to your question, which was if I'm if I'm an architect, if I'm living across the site, could could a really good attorney make that work? If there was some you know some negligence uh, according to, for the design professionals. Yeah, maybe, but I'd really like to see that architect. I'd like to see the contract that they sign. I'd like to see, you know, what we think the expectation is. Um, you know, did it fall within the standard of care? Right. Well, this is this was just a neighbor. This wasn't even yeah. the person's oh. project. They were just like across the street from oh, this construction yeah. project, and they saw whatever they saw, and I don't know. I can't. Details are important in this, but yeah, I, don't know. I just, it- I just, I'm just going to be always looking at my phone all the time. I don't see anything. I see nothing. I'm just texting people about sure, other people I sure. work with. That's all I'm doing. You know, Ooh, there's a parallel too- to be drawn here. Um, my wife is in the medical field, and she's a, a physician assistant. And I asked her one time if you would, if you were walking on the street and you saw somebody uh, having a heart attack or doing something along those lines, would you stop to help? And this is a really interesting, tough question, right? Because she does orthopedics. She doesn't do heart surgery. Uh, she went through training for it years and years ago and has not had any training since then. But if she stops to help, is she, is she basically elevating her standard of care? Is she now kind of on the hook for something because she has medical training? Absolutely. It creates a very interesting situation. And I don't have a good answer for you as to whether or not that's right or wrong or should be or shouldn't be. But it creates a very interesting situation from a liability standpoint, right? Um, and it sucks. It's it's just that's it's kind of the way our world is, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jeff. I just have to ask this question that's on everyone's mind, I'm sure, that Christian wants to know. Do you have a clone in New York or do you serve clients there or I, Massachusetts? I serve clients or... in New York. I don't have a clone. Um, you know, we, we definitely have goals to expand somewhere down the road, but right now it's uh, it's me and a few folks uh, that are that are doing the whole deal and making it work. The whole country. Um, we do serve the whole United States, yeah. So okay, well that's yeah. interesting. All right, that's all I have to say right well, now, Jeff. Yeah, but but that's a good question. If we expand that out too, because there are differences. Obviously, you know, the United States being the United States, there are differences mm-hmm. from state to state. So you're there in are. California, right. uh, Christians in New York. Uh, maybe a more extreme example. Uh, I'm in Indiana and California and or New York certainly have more restrictions and, and things than Indiana does. So how do you know, even, even if you're a sole practitioner, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily that you're wanting to open an office 
in Indiana and California and New York, but maybe you have a cousin that has a project mm-hmm. in a different location. How do you evaluate, you know, what you need to think about and what you need to know in that new location right. with everything uh, being so different from place to place? It's a wonderful question. You have a really good attorney that you find. And you call them up and I can introduce you to those, those attorneys that are only specialized in architects and engineers. And what you'd be looking for there is in this new state that I want to practice in, what is the civil code, right? What is the protection legally, uh, from that state for, for an architect or an engineer? And the civil code has a lot to play into when you sign contracts, uh, with indemnifications, right? Um, it has a lot to play into what the standard of care is. When you're signing that agreement, again, not an attorney, I'll, I'll always throw the disclaimer out there, but um, we want to make sure that we are we are operating under the standard of care of that specific locale, right? What would a similar uh, disciplined individual do in similar circumstances on a similar project type in a similar place? So I want to make sure if I am designing something in Indiana, that I don't want to be held to the standard of care of San Francisco, California. Because San Francisco, California has earthquakes, right? And we've got a whole bunch of different things that you need to factor in when you're building a building because of earthquakes. Not as big an issue in Indiana, right? I want to be held to um, that that standard of care. And also, I want to make sure I'm held to the standard of care of my peers so that I'm not held to the standard of care of a professor. Because sometimes in the world of academia, we can have an expert witness who is a professor who maybe hasn't practiced in a really long time and might say that this is, you know, yeah, this meets the standard of care or this person should have done this or whatnot. And in, in practical, you know, we talk about academic and practical. In the practical world, you're like, man, that's not reasonable, right? It's just not how we do it anymore. It's not, you know. So um, if I'm going to, if I'm going to sign a contract, I want to make sure that what I'm agreeing to is very reasonable. We, we cannot demand perfection. It does not exist in design. And I want to make sure that who is going to judge that reasonable is are my peers, right? The folks that maybe the folks that I compete against and hopefully I'm friendly with them, but I want to know that, that, you know, if I'm an architect, I'm going to be judged by other architects in my state or city, right? I'm not going to be judged by um, some architect, you know, sitting in an office somewhere or some professor that teaches architecture. That's interesting. Absolutely. Everybody's asking for a list. Of <laughs> I know, absolutely. I'll put together. I have that list of attorneys. I'll gladly put it together. Hey, let's talk ArcViz technology for a second. Powered by the near limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, or the time of day just by moving a slider and immersing your client in a way that they'll love and, more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Why not share your design with stakeholders and collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? There's no better way to get buy-in than by making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial, which you can get your hands on by heading to twinmotion.link slash clarity. That's twinmotion.link slash clarity. So, um, (laughs) 
as a risk manager, Christian wants to know, well, do you have liability? I do. As you- I do. And somebody asked earlier, do I carry errors in emissions insurance? Absolutely. Uh, professional services, right? Um, you know, I am, I'm as good as my word and, and, uh, you know, there are times when, um, I, I could do or say something that might be an error in emission on my part. And so we have, uh, we have insurance for that, just like an architect or an engineer. And, um, in my world, it would be, this is a big one right now, not offering cyber coverage, right? Cyber insurance claims for cyber, uh, for, for attacks online, whether that's social engineering or anything related to that are increasing hundreds of percent, actually, especially since COVID started. And there is a whole world, uh, overseas of what we would almost call a mafia type, uh, gathering of people whose sole job is or, or sole, uh, idea is to hack into businesses and not just large businesses, not just the ones that you see on, on TV, you know, the targets and the equal faxes and those ones reasonable size, you know, architecture firms, uh, 20, 30 person architecture firms, sole proprietor architecture firms. And so an error in emission for me would be, you know, I'm, I'm insuring Jeff and we go through risk management and we get his, uh, professional liability all sorted out and he ever coverages and I don't offer cyber. Jeff gets hit with a cyber claim and says, Zach, you never offered this to me, right? He's right. So something to keep in mind, but yeah, I'm held to the same, to the same rules. Wow. That, um, you know that that brings up an interesting point because you're talking about cyber, which is is not new. It, like you said, much more prevalent today than it was, you know, eighteen months ago. Forty years or ago, yeah, right. <laughs> certainly certainly more than before the internet. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, and, and there are other things. Yesterday, our topic was risk management in light of all the th- things that have changed with COVID. So. What what are the biggest blind spots right now that architects have? Maybe that's new things. Maybe it's the way things have changed. But what do you see as the biggest blind spot that most design professionals have? Oh, that's a really good question. And I, I see, I'm going to relate it to a question I see here in the chat, which is how do you feel about limiting your liability to your fee or contract? Mm-hmm. So two statements that are incredibly important are that fault is not the same as exposure, right? Um, think about this from like, a if you, if you, any of you have any kids out there that are of driving age that are not 18 yet. So I've got a 16, I don't have a 16 year old. If I had a, a 16 or 17 year old. I do. I one. There you go. And if my 16 year old. Give me something old, else to worry about. This is great. <laughs> I know. This is a fun conversation, right? This is, I'm, I'm loving it. it. Um, if your 16 year old gets into a car accident, mm-hmm. who's somebody going to sue? Are they going to sue? They're not going to sue your 16 year old, right? Right. Uh, you know, he or she does not have assets yet. They are, they are not somebody that's going to be able to pay that claim. And you are vicariously liable because you are the parent, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have this, whether you mean to or not, you have accepted this responsibility by having a child. <laughs> it's too late uh, now. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> too exactly. Um, architects are often the prime on the project. And are vicariously liable for subconsultants hired. Meaning we need to make sure those folks have insurance. We need to make sure those folks are following risk management procedures. And if I hire a structural engineer who this is the worst case scenario, I've seen this happen, who is uh, moonlighting. Uh, oh, this is God, their only no. project. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. <laughs> and that's, this is, you know, I, I pay them a $5,000 fee and 
they they do the calculations for me and they come back and there's a problem with the calculations. Guess where that's going to get, you know, tendered? Should it, are we going to go check the, the structural engineer first? Absolutely. When we find out that that person is moonlighting and doesn't have an insurance policy and you were the architect that hired them, it's coming your way. So fault is not the same thing as exposure. And uh, another example is, uh, let's say, the Millennium Tower or a condo project, right? We know that our exposure as a design professional increases exponentially if we take on a condominium project because we know that those are likely to go to litiga- litigation. It's not a comment on you and whether or not you did the job correctly, right? It's not your errors or missions there. Your exposure is how likely are you to get sued from that? Hmm. And, the, and the answer is on the spectrum, if we went from zero to 100, it's much more towards that 100 than it is a zero. So um, that would be the first main point. <laughs> and the second one real quick is uh, liability is not equal to fees. And I see this a lot with small architects. They say, oh, well, that project was only $50,000, so I'm only, I'm only liable for $50,000. That's not how it works at all, right? Liability is separate of fees. There's a degree to which the fee plays in. Um, I had a structural engineer in the Port of Oakland. To a $2,500 fee to shore up a crane in the Port of Oakland that's responsible for moving all those uh, uh, containers around. The, the the structural engineer didn't do anything wrong. The contractor overloaded the crane. The crane came into the water with the load on it. $2 million claim. The structural engineer got hit with, I think, a million of that. Not because they did anything wrong, but because their exposure on that fee or their, their fee on that project was not related to their liability. So really, like I, I know this is not fun talk, but it's it's important, right? As, as you start to evaluate these things as a business owner, um, you really don't want to think to myself, oh, well, I'm only signing on to do that. So therefore, I've heard this phrase before. I did that project, but I don't have any liability there. Yeah, you, you might not have a lot. The only way to say I don't have any liability there, though, is to not take the project, right? Mm. It's, just, it's just the truth of it. So, okay. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> great great follow-up question. <laughs> that was an anonymous question that just came to me. Is being an architect worth the risk? Because, you know, we do get paid a lot of money and a lot of appreciation. And, uh, yeah. You all became architects to get rich, right? That's the, yeah. And that's we are the... very, very rich. So I guess that's what makes it worth all this risk that we, we expose ourselves to. No. It's, uh, you know, it's tough. We, we do some um, uh, guest lecturing at UC Berkeley and at Cal Poly, my, my mentor and I. So we get these students who are seniors. They're almost done with their, their bachelor's degree. They're so excited. They're young and, and just, you know, have starry eyes. And we get to come in and talk to them about all of the scary things that come along with, you know, being an architect and opening up your own practice. So is, mm-hmm. it, is it worth the risk? If you were born to be an architect and that's all you can possibly think about, absolutely. No, I could do other stuff for sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, but okay. the uh, – there, and there's some follow-ups, yeah. um, you know, about uh, – Evgenia is asking, can you limit your liability to the project fee by stipulating that contract up front? Um, and Pam's asking about uh, being covered on the – the um, what is on the developers under their umbrella, um, and it makes me wonder. We 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 talked a couple of weks ago, a few weeks ago now about architects as developer, okay. 
And one of the things that we discussed, that we discovered, was that developers take on lots of risk. Especially the architect's developer. You've got the risk of the architect, the builder, the developer, all of it. Right. But the developer basically uh, uh, organizes everything around mitigating risk. And so they've got a, a separate business entity for this and for that and that, basically separating everything and trying to to mitigate that risk. Can an architect do the same thing? Are there ways to to mitigate that risk or is it just not possible? <sighs> So I will I will say this is probably an attorney question. Um, I would always go talk to an attorney questions. as you as you set up an entity. I have this question on my desk right now from a structural engineer that provides architectural services and drafting, and his question was, "Can I split out the entities?" Right, structural engineering to more of a, a, a high exposure discipline. When something goes wrong with a structural engineer. Um, you know, can we can we have this entity that is a structural engineering entity and then have this separate entity that provides drafting or architectural services? He's working that out with the attorney right now. Um, so I will say it is it is possible, but you know, you you as a design professional are gonna be held to held to the standard of care and that's gonna follow you wherever it is. Um, it's not just your business entity that's on the line. It's your if you're stamping and sealing something, that's your personal liability, right? That is that is, you know, me, Zach Waters, that is stamping and sealing that. And so, well, well, setting up separate entities the way that developers do and creating this LLC over here that may or may not exist three years from now, it's not, you know, typically, no. Um, I would say typically that's not the route to go. I will tell you, so I know we've been talking about a lot of scary stuff. One of my biggest clients is a, is a top 100 architect in the country. They're on the ENR top 500 list. Uh, like a $65 million revenue firm. And they have not been sued in the last 10 years. So there are ways to mitigate this, right? It is a lot of work. And now that's a much different exposure than a sole, a sole proprietor. Um, you know, they have teams of people who are there specifically to, you know, vet contracts and, and you know, vet subconsultants and do that type of stuff. But it, can this be done? you know, in a way, uh, safely and mitigate a lot of the risk. Yeah, absolutely. It can be done. So, um, hopefully that is a little bit of hope <laughs> as we talk about negative things, but, um, this is a good does question, a corporation question. really protect our personal assets? That's, that's going to be an attorney question. Um, I'd like My to attorney say, usually says no. Yeah. My like attorney say, says no. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it, it's an attorney question. I'll leave it at that. Boy. You know, I'm thinking, what else can I do? I see Scott um, can't do anything else, and I guess he's stuck. <laughs> I'm going to look at the job app, uh, one as this afternoon. Um, all right, what about what about employees? This is one of the questions that people did have about um, in certain states. It's different, you know, it's different in every state. But mm -hmm. if you are an employee and then you get become licensed, mm -hmm. are, is there addition? Is there additional exposure for that for employer? Yeah, for the employer, when the employees become licensed. Um, She's asking sure. both. Yeah. yeah, both. I mean, I would say both, sure. I mean, when you become licensed, you know, you're, you're agreeing to that standard of care. And you're, you know, when you stamp and seal something, you're putting your own personal liability out there. Do we, let, let, now let's back up. This is all what in the world of possible, right? What Could somebody do this? Yeah, absolutely. Do we see it very often? No. 
This was this is what insurance is for, right? The beauty of having insurance, insurance should pay for two things. Insurance, professional liability insurance for an architect should pay for the attorney to defend you if if some anything goes wrong. Meaning somebody brings you a subpoena, somebody, you know, names you in a lawsuit, somebody does something that comes after you. You have this insurance and that's meant to be uh, to pay for the attorney to be able to help represent you, give you advice, uh, you know, walk you through the situation. And then if there's a judgment against you, if you're found at fault, whether that's a percentage, um, you know, if there is some type of a judgment against you, then the insurance will pay for that as long as it's a covered claim, right? Um, I upheld or, or I failed to meet the standard of care and it was agreed upon that this was my fault and I owe $50,000, you know, to make it right. Insurance company will pick that up. So insurance is readily available proceeds, right? Could we, could we as a sole proprietor architect not buy insurance if we're not being uh, required to have it? You know, if I only do high-end residential and I'm only working on, you know, out here in California, it's like $2 million homes, right? And none of those clients are requiring me to have insurance. Do I need to have it? No, you could self-insure, right? You could say, I have X amount of money in the bank and I will pay for my own attorney. And if there is a judgment against me, um, then I'll pay for it out of that that money I've set aside. Um, that's absolutely a possibility. What, what the, the, the reason people like insurance is that it makes this nice, very neat thing. When this happens, I go talk to this insurance company and say, hey, you deal with this. So mm, That does um, make me feel a little better. Good, <laughs> good. I do pay for my insurance. Um, so Sarah Lee wants to know if you have uh-huh. a book or a guide on how to mitigate the risks in architecture. You know, Sarah, that's a great question. So what I do have that's available to anybody, uh, we have a contract review guide that we wrote with an attorney. I co-authored this with an architect uh, specialist attorney. And that's got kind of eight clauses that you should go through, very bullet pointed, meant to be as a reference, easy to read. This is what it is. This is why it is. This is what you should do. The next one we are working on right now is a contract negotiation uh, list. So when you get when your client is requiring you to have insurance, I see some crazy stuff, and this is a lot of what I'm spending my time on right now. And I see it in two compartments. I see it where the design professional, the architect, is getting treated like a contractor, and they get these agreements that says contractor will do this, this, and this, and we're like, no, you're <laughs> you're not a contractor, and there are some really serious differences between contractors insurance and architects insurance and so we need to that's not even worth redlining that contract that's a start over we need to send this back to your client and that means your client does not understand the difference and that's okay but you know we will either help them we'll provide them with a template that fits better or uh in some cases it was just a mistake they sent you the wrong one um the second thing that we do a lot is we negotiate down insurance requirements yeah vendor is even worse christian uh, we negotiate, negotiate down insurance requirements because in response to increasing liability and construction, the developers, the owners of projects will put these onerous numbers out there and say, Mr. and Mrs. Sole Proprietor, I need you to carry $5 million of professional liability insurance. Yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, I've, I've had a million. I've had a million for my entire career. You want five? You know? Sometimes we can make that work. A lot of times it doesn't make sense. Um, sometimes it's just they're asking for obscene numbers. I got one in today on Monday for a really large client. Uh, $50 million in general liability insurance. And my, my, I was a one word answer back to the question, or back to the client, which is why? 
It's hard to talk. I will, I will hop on that call and, and walk through that with the client. I want to understand where you think our exposure is $50 million on general liability. It doesn't make any sense. And what that tells me is that they're just sending these requirements down, right? They're sending them to everybody and they're going to see who signs them. And sometimes they'll negotiate. Well, there's entities out there that will not negotiate. Uh, you know, government clients often you're not going to get negotiations. Um, you know, depending on how the size of the client and the size of your firm, if you're a sole proprietor trying to negotiate with a much larger firm, you know, you're you're at a disadvantage. But it can be done. Um, so sometimes just you know, going back to the client. Here's an, a contract negotiation tip as an architect. When somebody sends you a, a, a contract. And say, hey, let me take a look at this. I'm going to go run this by my subconsultants and make sure they're okay with it too. And that's basically your leverage to you know, take it to your structural engineer or whoever, you know, your lead consultant, whoever you're going to use on the project and say, would you sign this? And have them review it and say, no, absolutely not. That's a, that's a really nasty contract. Now you're going back to your client and you're saying, hey, I'd love to take this project, but I ran this by my, my three best subconsultants and nobody's willing to sign this. What can we do about it? Right. And now you've got a little bit of leverage. Um, so we're trying to write a guide, which is kind of uh, questions and responses uh, to negotiating contracts, because it's one thing to know what you should sign. It's another thing to say, hey, can I get this removed? What, um, you know, we've, we've danced around insurance a lot, touched on it a little bit. What are the, and I know this is, this is open-ended, <laughs> but um We've got liability. We've got E and O. Are those exactly as professional liability and E and O? Are those the same thing? Good question. Yes. Uh, professional liability is now the new term. It was called errors and emissions insurance, which is where the E and O comes from. Um, if you're going to get a contract, you'll often see it will say um, architect needs to have one million, one million of errors and emissions or professional liability insurance. And then it might say they need to have 1 million, 2 million of general liability insurance and 1 million, 1 million of workers' comp insurance and maybe 1 million, 1 million of auto uh, or 1 million of auto liability, non-owned and hired uh, insurance. That would be a typical contract. So the big one in, the, in there, the one that we spend most of our time talking about is the professional liability insurance, right? It's that ENO. And that's going to cover that policy. We said it's it's there to pay out two things. It's there to pay attorney's fees and it's there to pay judgments against you. It should cover in the policy form, if you go read that 100-page document, it should cover bodily injury, it should cover property damage, and it should cover economic loss. And that's the big one. Economic loss is like missing um, deadlines. It's um, consequential damages. It's a lot of things that we think of when... You know, when we're at fault and we need to go redesign, but now we've pushed the deadline of the project back and the contractor can't come back and, you know, do it on time. And now instead of getting this done by October 1st, it's going to be February of next year. You know, if that's, if that's a judgment against us, that's often going to be economic loss. Um, but the bodily injury and the property damage are really important because if something that we design fails, somebody could get hurt or, you know, property could be damaged. So in really, inexpensive policies that you can see out there on the internet, sometimes they're excluding the bodily injury and or the property damage. Um, so that's always something to be aware of is I'm, I'm not a opposed 
to a sole proprietor architect who says, hey, Zach, I love what you're saying right now, but man, I don't need anything about what you do. I see insurance as just this necessary evil, and I just want to be able to, to have it to present a certificate to my client. What is the best way for me able to, to, to do that? And the answer is totally get it. That's your judgment call. The internet is a great place for, your, for you to go find you know, relatively inexpensive insurance if you understand what you're buying, right? If you've got some money in the bank you're willing or, or you just, you're like, hey, look, I don't believe that the risk is that big. There are places on the internet you can go find this stuff you know, relatively cheap, right? Um, there's also places on the internet you can find it <laughs> at a decent, decent price, uh, you know, with a good policy form. Um, you know, a lot of what we do, a lot of this risk management, kind of like we talked about in the beginning, is talking through all of these scenarios of what might go, uh, what could possibly go wrong. Um, so back to the ENO um, professional liability, biggest exposure for a design professional by far. And when we talk about this, if somebody sends you a really big general liability requirement, like that one I talked about that was 50K, it tells me they don't understand the exposure of an architect, right? It tells me they're thinking about it like a contractor because an architect is providing professional services and a contractor is providing completed operations, right? An architect is providing um, ideas, their designs, even though they are, you know, tangible documents, right? They're not this, this hard, surface actual built thing and they cannot be done to perfection a contractor and their completed operations their general liability policy can absolutely be held to warranties and guarantees can absolutely warrant that something is perfect and you know will not fail and if they fail their general liability policy picks that up so there is this very clear line of divide between a professional liability policy for a, a design professional and a general liability policy for a contractor. And unless you're doing design build and um, you know, you're doing both of those, you're taking on both those risks, you should, we want to make sure that we're not being held to somebody else's standard. So what is the standard for general liability for an architect then? It's a great question. And I get this a lot from smaller firms. It's, it's tough. So the client is going to ask you for general liability. And what we will often put in place is what's called a business owner policy. Now, business owner policy is a lot like a homeowner's policy, where it's this combination of liability and property. So if you own a home and you have a homeowner's policy, you've likely got this, you've got this insurance and you get, you get dual coverage. You get coverage for all the things inside, all of my furniture, right? All of my belongings. Uh, you know, if anything, if my house were to burn down, God forbid, this, you know, this would be covered. You also get liability coverage. So if somebody is on my property and they fall down and hurt themselves and it was because I didn't replace the step and they tripped, I'm liable for that, right? So I get this dual coverage. Um, a business owner policy is the same setup for a business owner. It's not a huge exposure for a sole proprietor architect who doesn't have a physical office location. So if you're working out of your home like many of us do in COVID, and you're not having people come to your premises, you know, your actual office to meet with you. It's not it's not going to cost you a whole lot because there's just not a whole lot there. The the business owner portion, it'll throw in some extras, it'll throw in business personal property, which is your your computers, your desks, you know, anything if I if I flip the building upside down and shook it, anything that would fall out is going to be business personal property. Um you're also going to get some business income if 
my now <laughs> big caveat to this we learned 18 months ago uh there is exclusion for viruses on these policies so if my business shut down because of covid um i don't get lost business income i don't get to say well my employees weren't working for this long and you know give me the money if i had a physical office and it burned down and now i can't get my 10 employees to come in and work and we lost business income because of that it it should pay for that right it should be considered a covered claim then so general liability is meant to dovetail with professional liability on the spectrum of importance though i would go 95% professional liability and 5% general uh as a practical risk manager, do I have sole proprietor clients that do not carry general liability because they don't deem it necessary? Yeah, I do. Have, and we have that conversation and it's completely up to them. But um, it's just, you know, as a smaller firm, it's just not that big an exposure. So That's, that's a great explanation. We could keep going on this, I think, for about six <laughs> or seven hours. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's, we've heard enough. <laughs> Yeah, Catherine's going to wig out if we do. Um, so, <laughs> but but this these are these are important conversations. I mean, they are. They, they are. really are. Um, so, I, I guess maybe the way to wrap it up uh, is by asking what's the what's the one or two best tips that you have for small firm architects out there when they're thinking about risk management insurance. Gotcha contracts, all of these things that we've been talking about. Gotcha. Um, one of the, the services I love to provide is we I team up with one of the attorneys that I know really well, and at a very discounted rate, we will, or the attorney will write your uh, standard firm agreement or, or uh, adapt it from an AIA template. Uh, we will build out a document retention program which is also a template that we uh, that we make your own based on you know what state you're in and and what type of feedback you want to put into that, um, and then developing you could call it kind of QAQC quality assurance quality control you could call it just some general guidelines for this is stuff that I won't put in email this is stuff that I will save and this is how long I'll save it. Um, these are things that I will do on a site visit and these are things that I won't. And they don't have to be perfect, but just having the intent of knowing that this is what I signed up for and and, and not letting my scope creep on a project, right? That I have, I have clients sometime who called me and said, Zach, I, when I signed on for this project, it was a $10,000 fee and I was only supposed to do this. And now it's like $250,000 and I'm the architect of record and... Um, you know, I got all this, so like, what, what do I need to do? And it's like, oh man, we need to, we need to get a new contract in place is what we need to do, right? We need to, we need to use our contract. It's the best place to start. The best, best, best places as a plug for great attorneys out there. The best place to start to limit your liability is to have a nice tight contract that says what you will do, what is extra and what you won't do. And then, um, you know, some, some main uh, clauses, and we've got that in the contract review guide, but making sure your standard of care looks okay, no warranties and guarantees and things like that. So if that was, if you were just looking for one piece of advice, it would be, it would be contracts. It would be go spend a few hundred dollars. It doesn't have to be a few thousand. Um, that's, I know I'm a small business as well. 
And I know that expenses are a real thing, right? Taxes are a real thing. Um, you know, making payroll is a very real thing. And so, you know, looking at the cost of an attorney and thinking, gosh, this person charges $450 an hour. It's like, man, that's a lot of money. Doesn't have to be that. We've got some great contacts that I can introduce you to that are not that, that are excellent. So, yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, and that goes out to, um, you know, we have people that have been in business for quite some time, but we also have a lot of since COVID new firm owners. So, mm-hmm. uh, we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all of this. And I, I encourage everybody, whether you're listening to this in the podcast version in the future or you, you're watching now live or you find the recorded version on, on YouTube or wherever, reach out to Zach. Um, look, look for Zachary Waters. Um, but, uh, reach out to him on LinkedIn, go to his, his, uh, website, Black Swan, uh, risk management and, uh, use him as a resource, hire him to, uh, to help you out. And, mm-hmm. uh, Zach, we really appreciate you coming on and joining us and sharing all of this today. Thanks so much, Jeff, uh, Catherine. I really appreciate it. And I do, honestly, we, we want to be a resource. I love this Entree Architect community. Um, and it, 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 if we don't work together, but you've got questions, just send them over. Be happy to, happy to answer questions, happy to create resources as well. That's one of the things that I love about my Friday call. And Nicole's in here. I think I saw Daniel on here or my group. Um, they're helping me to develop content that is useful to, sole proprietor and you know small architecture firms so always awesome. looking to do that so awesome. thanks so much love guys. It. Yeah, do you have time for all thanks. of us zach can you take all of us on <laughs> we, we, you know we're getting a lot of calls i think I, that's okay we'll make it work we're, we're <laughs> needing to hire somebody you're right still now open right so. i can call you after the show I'll call you after absolutely the show. absolutely okay. yeah. there you go that's a great question too all right. With that, thanks, Zach. Thanks to everybody in the audience today. We appreciate all of you. Lots of great questions. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them, but we, you know, we have an hour to uh, have this conversation. But the great thing is that the no matter where you're viewing this, all of these comments remain here uh, as comments on the recording. So uh, you can continue the conversation wherever you are. Um, so please continue in using this. Uh, as uh, as a resource. And with that, uh, just a little heads up, we'll be back again next week at our normal 4 p.m. Eastern time slot. Again, we're just making accommodations for, for Jeff today at 3 p.m. because I'm going to run off here momentarily to go speak at this conference. Uh, but we'll be back at 4 p.m. Eastern next Thursday, and our guest next Thursday will be Pat Flynn. Started out as an architect. Now he has built the Smart Passive Income Empire, I'm going to call it. Uh, he's a huge fan of Back to the Future. So keep that in mind for next week when we had Pat Flynn on. And uh, so we're going to be talking about Passive, yes, the movie, uh, the franchise. Okay. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll talk about Passive Income next week. Um, we will continue this discussion of risk management tomorrow. Uh, in our final day of the week on Friday, we'll talk about uh, risk management as it relates to uh, consultants and contractors that you work with. So join us again, 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group tomorrow or at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Clubhouse app. We have our 30-minute coffee talk every morning, 9 a.m. Eastern, same topic, both places. So again, thanks to all of you. Appreciate all of you. Um, Take a little bit of time to relax tonight. Breathe a little bit. Uh, you know, this is, this is a lot to take in, 
uh, a lot to learn from, but you know, the whole purpose of this conversation is, is it really is to uh, make you safer. So uh, be well, stay well, keep yourself uh, safe and, and well, encourage those around you to do their part in keeping themselves safe and well. And I hope that I will see all of you somewhere sometime soon. So have a great evening or day, depending on where in the world you are. I'll see you soon, everybody. Thank you. Before we go, I want to say thank you to Twinmotion for their support of this episode of Context and Clarity Live. Visit Twinmotion today at twinmotion.link slash clarity and try Twinmotion for free. Okay, well, there you have it. What did you think of that conversation? Hopefully there was some big takeaway that will help you this week with your business. If there was, let me know. DM me on Instagram or on Twitter. You can find me on all the socials at Jeff underscore Eccles. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast and leave us an honest review and rating. Those things really help us get the message out and help us help more architects just like you. Oh, and follow Context and Clarity on Instagram as well, so you can get a heads up on everything that's coming up. In our next episode, Catherine will join me again along with a special guest, or will it be guests from the Context and Clarity community, so we can break this conversation down. It will be Context and Clarity backstage, so to speak. So join us as we all share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in today's conversation to our own businesses. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And finally, if today's topic is of particular interest to you, and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take these topics and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. 
One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.